Hi, I'm John Doherty, business manager of IBEW Local Union 98. I won't make Eagles history like Ron Jaworski or Mike Quick, but Local 98 is proud to help Lincoln Financial Field become the first major sports stadium to convert to renewable energy. It was August 2016 when federal investigators raided the home and offices of Philly Building Trades business manager John Doherty. John Doherty. John Doherty. Organized labor leader John Doherty. Johnny Doc. Yesterday, Local 98 business manager John Doherty and Philadelphia City Councilman Robert Heenan were indicted by a federal grand jury. The federal indictments are down against John Doherty, Bobby Heenan, and six others. Where to begin? When you find out that CHOP uh, has non-union labor putting in two MRI machines and you call up and you say, uh, boy, you wouldn't want to be shut down by the city for this. And then your councilman who's on your payroll uh, gets LNI to show up and twice shut them down. That is a hijacking of democracy. Well, Jim, privately, many don't feel sorry for union boss Johnny Doc Doherty and his crew. He had a lot of enemies with his strong arm tactics. There is no one that is not connected by at least two degrees um, in distance from John Doherty. Doherty pleaded not guilty to the indictments last week. There's not too many places in America where the nickname of a union leader gets tossed around the media as often as the local team's running back. But Philadelphia is one of those places. And as you just heard, in the last week or so, the headlines and newscasts have been filled with mentions of the man known as Johnny Doc. I'm Chris Citullo, and this is 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. Johnny Doc is John Doherty, business manager of Local 98 of the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers and one of the most feared power brokers in the city. But now he and a number of his close associates, including a city councilman, stand indicted on a host of charges, alleging misuse of union funds and other deeds. The indictments and the reactions to them raise a host of questions, not just about Johnny Doc, but our city. To bat those questions around, we gathered here in the Wexler studio at the Kelly Writers House on the UPenn campus some of the people who know Philly politics best. Dave Davies, senior political writer for WHYY. David Gambacorda, reporter for the Philadelphia Media Network. And our own David, David Thornburg, president and CEO of the Committee of 70. Welcome all. Good to be here. Thanks for accommodating our meeting of the Daves. Yep. I feel like we should do a hello, hello, hello. <laughs> yeah, well, I, hello. you know, you've heard of a pride of lions, a gaggle of geese. I'm surrounded by a deluge of Daves. <laughs> These are the Daves I know. You know the Daves of our lives. We are off to a terrible start here. Uh, Dave Gambacorda, could you sort of run down what's, in your view, the heart of the charges against Johnny Doc and his associates? Where were you last week? Mm. <laughs> so it was a 116-count uh, indictment. You've got your embezzlement, your bribery, your theft. Um, you know, I mean, it, basically it, it, it exposes or it portrays Johnny, um, our old Johnny, as, as a guy who just took, took, took. You know, but the union dues, right, now, public money. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, you know, and, and seemed to very much enjoy using the leverage that he had, um, you know, not unlike a Vince Fumo, you know, and bragging about it, you know, boasting about it. I live a life, I live in a world that you little people can't understand. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, I, and I think it, 
I don't know if it was shocking, right? I mean, I don't think anybody was was stunned by what was outlined in there because we've seen variations of it in Philadelphia so many times before. Um, but the the portion of the indictment that focused on his relationship with Bobby Heenan and how he was able to use that influence. The city you know, councilman. City councilman Who? Bobby Heenan. Um, you know, that I, I think gave everybody hopefully a lot of pause. I imagine we'll explore that today. Yeah, a city councilman who was a member of IBEW and was still on the payroll while also on the public payroll. Which is totally fine. Yeah. Which... I got to say, I was a little struck by what was not in the indictment. I mean, for a guy who has been as aggressive in Pennsylvania politics as Johnny Doc has for 20 years, there are no campaign finance violations, no reports of him bullying anybody in elections. Um, I think he's gotten careful, particularly since he was dinged by the Philadelphia Ethics Board in 2007 and paid a $10,000 fine for some anonymous flyers that they tried to deny responsibility for. He got he has lawyers. He's pretty careful. What he didn't think people were looking at, apparently, if the charges are true, was what happens to the union money. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's sort of sit with that for a minute. Um, in the long storied and sordid history of political corruption in Philadelphia, where does this rank on the Richter scale? Is it Kind of small potatoes stole some union dues versus some some of the other things you and you've covered in the past, Dave Davies. Well, you know, if you get Al Capone on tax evasion, it's still a very very big deal. And yeah. uh, gosh, I'm, I don't mean to compare this union leader to a, a, an organized crime figure, but he is a towering figure in Philadelphia politics. And I think I think the actual offenses charged against him, yeah, are not not nearly like the like the charges against State Senator Vince Fumo back in the early 2000s or against Lee Beloff, the city councilman who tried to extort a developer for a million dollars to, to um, develop Penn's Landing. But it's enough that a jury will probably care and there are felonies that carry prison terms and would make a huge difference in the Philadelphia political scene. Let me just point out though, Chris, I mean, you know, the, the days of the um, black and white quid pro quo, the I need a million dollars from, you know, from Bill Rouse to leave Bill off so that you can, you know, develop here, I think are over. Uh, both sides have gotten way smarter than that. And you've seen that in, you know, the Rob McCord uh, trial, the Chaka Fatah, the, even the Seth Williams uh, situation. So these the, – the, um, the, the, the trail, the trail of money and the trail of influence and how that's all sort of uh, manipulated has gotten much more complex and, and subtle, but it doesn't make it any less uh, problematic. So let's stick a little bit with the relationship between John Doherty and Bobby Heenan, the council person. Um, what is alleged in the indictment that would be illegal about the way he exercised his influence over his protege? I, you know, we, we touched on this a little earlier. I thought the most disturbing um, episode that they outlined involved the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, you know, where – uh, MRIs were being installed by non-union labor, which got on Doc's radar. Uh, and his his first instinct, his first reaction, which they recounted, was get Heenan. Um, and, you know, Doc is accused of, of going to the hospital and, and telling administrators there, like, really, really be a shame if something happened to your project here. Mm-hmm. Be a shame if is that Heenan is, went there or Doc? Doc, Doc, Doc yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and sure enough, the next day, Doc directs L&I. To, to uh, Heenan, excuse me, directs L and I to pay a visit to uh, to Children's Hospital, and there's a, a stop work order issued. Um, L and I being the inspection apparatus of the city. So basically, the the 
the indictment is that Doherty, with his influence over Hina, is basically able to deploy the enforcement powers of the city to get what he wants for his union. Yeah, and, and making it clear, you know, during his interactions with with Chop, that this is what's going to happen. You know, if you don't turn around and and at least allow unions uh, to bid on this job, um, and I mean, it's it. I thought it was pretty naked. You know. Right. How it well, went down. It's, there was... it's particularly because it's the children, uh, which to my mind ranks only second in recent political corruption history uh, to when the iron workers were messing with the Quakers uh, when they were <laughs> building in, Chestnut Hill, in yeah. Chestnut Hill, you know, like you're picking on folks that can't fight back, you know. So I think that the symbolism elevates that piece of the indictment, certainly. And what Children's Hospital said was that the equipment needed to be installed by the, the manufacturers who are non-union because it's a very compl- complicated and technical installation. Yeah, what, what Heenan is charged with here is honest services fraud, the idea that his it is his legal obligation as a public official to give the public the benefit of his honest services. And if instead of serving them, he serves the interests of John Doherty, he has committed a criminal fraud. And I think this will be an interesting case for them to try and prove because uh, I think what Bobby Heenan will say is uh, I am equally as pro-union, as pro-defense of working people as John Doherty is. And yeah, he may have made the call, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't have done exactly the same thing. And a jury will have to sort all that out. Right. Like that, I think, becomes his defense for a lot of what they outline about Heenan and, and what he allegedly did or didn't do was that these are things he would have felt the same way about on his own. He would have been a proponent of a soda tax or, you know, uh, maybe felt that Comcast should have steered some some contract work to uh, certain electricians. So that's always the tricky thing about right. the quid pro quo question in our United States Supreme Court has taken an extremely narrow view of what constitutes a quid quo quo. If you got money from somebody because you were inclined to do something and then you do it, that has in several cases been described as that's not corruption. That's the way politics works. So I don't want to take a step back, Dave Davies. You called John Doherty a towering figure. What makes him a towering figure for those of our listeners who don't track this like we do? Like he's a union leader. What's the big deal? It's the staggering amounts of money that Local 98 puts into elections. Um, I mean, over $2 million a year just in direct contributions to other candidates. But it goes far beyond that because there's other spending on top of it. And, you know, nobody makes a move in this city or region or in a statewide election without knowing where Johnny Doc is on the playing field. It's like the quarterback who looks for the linebacker who is the killer, I mean, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Lawrence Taylor or um, – you know where he is on the playing field. Unfortunately, and, there was no eagle that came to mind when you were trying to think <laughs> of that library. I was going to say Jeremiah Trotter. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, so, well yeah. played, Capricorna. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, no, I mean he just – and it's interesting that not a single person on city council has dared raise their hand and say, yeah, Bobby Heenan should leave the body yeah. uh, under these circumstances because they look at the calculus and say, well, OK, I can do that and be – quoted in paragraph six of somebody's story and then make a lifetime enemy of a guy yeah. who to give one quick example last year at the last minute he dropped hundred and fifteen thousand dollars into a state legislative race in south philadelphia supporting jonathan rowan uh the 39th ward leader against liz fiedler my former colleague and and two others Last minute, 115000 into that race. It's a huge amount of money for state representative race. Put another 75000 into Sean Kilkenny's race in the Northeast. Lost them both. Didn't matter. Uh, as of the end of December, that fund had $7 million in it. So this is a guy who just wields a kind of 
financial influence in politics that is just really unmatched by anybody. Okay. Well, so guys, Dave's, I'm in a skeptical mood today. So let me just jump off of what you just said. He poured all that money into the race and Liz Fiedler won. He poured all that money into the other race and the other guy won. He poured a lot of money into a congressional race behind a candidate um, and got Bernie Sanders organization to back that candidate. That candidate still lost to Mary Gay Scanlon. So is this legend of Johnny Doc's clout somewhat exaggerated? I mean, this guy doesn't seem to win all the time. No, he does win, and it helps. Uh, 1999, he backs uh, uh, um, John Street in a big way in a mayoral election, and within months is head of the Philadelphia Redevelopment Authority. Uh, three years later, he backs Ed Rendell in a tough primary against Bob Casey, which a lot of other Philadelphians were supporting Casey. Ed Rendell wins, and there's Johnny Doc on the board of the, of the Delaware River Port Authority. There's Johnny Doc's Lieutenant Ed Nielsen as a Deputy Secretary of Labor and Industry. And these kinds of connections go on and on. You invest in a lot of places, and you don't win everywhere, but you get enough that it expands your power and influence in ways that are hard to even see. Yeah, just to throw another uh, piece on the table, there is a sort of boots-on-the-ground factor. You know, when you get down to uh, local elections, we elect judges for curious reasons – city council members, some row offices and so forth, literally turning people out uh, to, you know, come to rallies, to hand uh, palm cards and uh, sample ballots out makes a difference in those races. And and unions and, and docs unions in particular have the ability to, to do that. My other answer to your question is sort of to reference the fear factor. I mean, he has done a masterful job of maybe creating – a perception that's larger than life, but it's all worked for him. And there's no small element of fear in that. I mean, it's the the, the, the hushed tones uh, around this town that uh, people have uh, employed to talk about these indictments in the last couple of years. And then the sort of, you know, sort of uh, kind of not quite funny jokes about, uh, you know, if you say something, maybe you don't want to start your car uh, anytime soon or or have somebody else start your car. That's for real. And, and I think that's a, it's a credit to his larger-than-life personality backed by, as Dave said, the extraordinary amount of money in the boots on the ground. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the reaction or in some sense his absence of reaction going uh, sort of to the top of city government, um, Mayor Jim Kenney, who clearly goes way back with John Doherty. But is it surprising to any of you that there's been – well, you've covered it close, more followed it more closely than I, but I haven't heard a whiff of anybody saying anything about Heenan should leave or um, this is great that they got Johnny Doc. I mean, the political culture seems to be silent. Tumbleweeds. <laughs> Gosh, you know, I hadn't even thought, are, are the Republicans even talking? Because he spends, he gives money to Republicans <laughs> who, who are too. they? Which ones? <laughs> well, that... statewide. Val DiGiorgio, the state chairman of the Republican Party. I mean, I don't... I, 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 maybe I shouldn't bring it up because I'm just not sure. Well, but I he, he yeah. is quoted, and I want to get to this topic next. Val is quoted in the story our former colleague, Holly Otterbein, wrote for Politico saying this could have an impact in the 2020 presidential race. Um, but let's put that aside for a moment. If if it were anybody else, would there be some commentary uh, coming from the political culture? Let me throw in another thing that I think accounts for some of the quiet. We have local elections coming up. Mm -hmm. So prior to last Wednesday when the indictments came out, I suspect there are a lot of folks uh, who were milling around trying to figure out how to get a check or some other kind of support from 
from Doc and his and his friends. So now all of a sudden, I think there's a lot of soul searching. I hope there's a lot of soul searching and quiet discussions about like how we're going to play this. Pointing out to uh, Kenny that coincidentally they had an IBEW fundraiser for Kenny scheduled like two days after the indictment, and he went through with it. Although I uh, I read somebody's account that said he uh, went out through the back door to avoid the reporter. So <laughs> I was one of them. I waited. More yeah. than three hours. And, and just to be te- technically, it was not an IBEW fundraiser. Okay. It was the Philadelphia AFL-CIO Council Got and it. the Building Trades Council, which Doc had. Got it. But the checks went to Marita Crawford, one of Dr. D's co-defendants, which was just a little awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just a touch, Davey. I, I, I'm really – I've been fascinated by how Kenny has responded to this because he has to – you know, you're almost sort of like trying to dance between raindrops, you know, because when he ran for mayor, I think he sort of struggled with how to characterize their relationship because they had had a falling out for a long time and then repaired that. Um, and, but grew up together. Yeah, I mean, grew that's up in his, South Philly. Not yeah, like um, how he had to sort of rationalize or pigeonhole his relationship with Fumo. Yeah, same sort of thing. Yeah, you know? it's, it's we were friends, of... then we weren't friends, and then mm, I don't know, maybe. Right. And, and I, Dave, I remember you writing, Dave Davies, just to be clear to which Dave I'm <laughs> gesturing towards. Um, but in, you know, in 2015, you know, it was Doc who very publicly was saying all of the unions were looking to unite behind one candidate. And they were, you know, this was the, the king making, you know, sort of happening in front of everyone's eyes. Um, and, I, and I always thought Kenny seemed uncomfortable with that discussion, you know, of not wanting to seem like he was in Doc's pocket. And, you know, here he was last week having to answer questions about what is, I guess we'd say, is his signature policy achievement, the soda tax, which now, according to the indictment, you know, maybe has its roots in a feud in, in Doherty and Heenan wanting to spite the Teamsters, you know, knowing a soda tax would, would hurt them and, and cause them job losses. And I, and I thought Kenny's response to that was really awkward. You know, I mean, he, he not only had to say, well, if it was a feud, it's not my feud. But then he also sort of pivoted and said, well, the soda tax wasn't even really my idea. You know, it was Rob Dubow. And <laughs> the city finance director. Yeah. yeah. yeah, right. yeah. Or, uh, yeah. And I can't think Speaking of – Speaking of the power behind the throne, <laughs> Rob Dubow. conception of the, <laughs> of the tax. Yeah. So I think this is like one of the, the more interesting pieces of fallout from all of this is, is what it's – the position it's putting Kenny in, in in an election year. And now even to talk about his, his signature achievement – he doesn't even have the right words for it. Right. So David David Gamacor, let me just stick with a, a minute. Is is the claim that the very idea of the soda tax sprang for the feud, or is that just how Kenny got to nine votes that Johnny Doc got the votes for him? I mean it's certainly not nine the, votes. It's in an city old council. idea, right? Yeah. I mean and yeah. Michael Nutter when he was mayor tried to go down that road. Um and, and so I think that that is sort of Kenny's explanation is is Rob Dubow, the finance director, was suggesting, let's revisit this. Maybe this is a way yeah, to – Rob was just like a dog with a bone. I couldn't shut him up. You know? <laughs> so we have a soda um, tax. Well, he said, we need revenue. I want to do this. Right. I want pre-K. I want to rebuild communities. How do we get the money? And, right. And Dubow said, well, let's dust off this whole idea of a soda tax. Right. That's the mayor's version. Right. The, and and, and the, you know, the indictment – the betrayal there is that, is that Councilman Heenan was upset at, at an ad – that uh, was critical of Johnny Doc. He believed the Teamsters uh, were behind TV ad. Um, and so you see between them a discussion about, you know what, we're going to do a soda tax and it, let's stick it to them. Stick it to them, right. Yeah. And the Teamsters had supported um, 
Anthony Williams for mayor in 2015, whereas Local 98 and the other right. building trades had supported Kenny. The only thing was it wasn't... The feuds go really deep oh, yeah. into the Nothing magma beneath uh, the crust of the earth here, don't they? Nothing <laughs> motivates like a grudge in Philadelphia <laughs> politics. That's right. But I think to your question, it wasn't a, it wasn't a close vote. It wasn't that Heenan's mm-hmm. cast the deciding vote, so... But, but, you know, the debate was closer than the vote. Mm. I mean, it was yeah. the final vote was 13 to 4, but it was touch and go getting everybody together, enough votes, and then once it's going to pass, you know, you'll some some will do it as a pro forma thing. David Thornburg, you wanted to jump. In. Well, as Chris knows, I am fresh off a, a trip to Punxsutawney to visit with Punxsutawney Phil. So I'm all about prognostications these days. The question, particularly for uh, for Dave D and Dave G, but Chris, you can weigh in too. Is will this in fact become a campaign issue for council candidates or judicial candidates? The, the campaign issue, like, will you or did you take money from uh, IBW? Well, I think Alan Butkovitz is already making an issue in the mayor's race. Now, whether Butkovitz can get enough traction to have a really competitive campaign is an open question. But sure, they're going to raise this issue. And Butkovitz, it's interesting. He, he will make a case, a circumstantial case, that it really was Doc, that it was Doc calling the tunes, that, that Kenny – you know, he didn't really have this idea until Doc planted it in his in his brain. And that as things unfolded and alternative ideas came up, he had no interest in them. He was not going to compromise. He was not going to go for a, a container tax, as Councilwoman Brentles Brown proposed, or a half penny increase in the sales tax, which Butkovich says was available in Harrisburg. He wanted the soda tax. Why? Because his puppet master, Doc, wanted the soda tax. This is the theory. I'm skeptical of it, but he will make that case. And Alan Botkovitz, fresh off his resounding victory in the last control. Oh, wait, no. Okay. Different Alan Botkovitz, yeah. <laughs> but, but when it comes to taking checks, like there's going to be a gazillion council candidates, council at large candidates, are people going to hesitate to take a check from yes. those unions? Yes, I think they absolutely will. And it'll be interesting to see if Bobby Heenan gets a challenger. I scoured the... Yeah. I talked, called every ward leader in the district yesterday, could not find a single person who will, who will run. It's hard to believe nobody will. Um, the other impact on the mayor's race is what's not – probably not going to happen, and that is that you know, there was going to be another super PAC. I mean this was sort of an open secret. Um, a, the building trades and Local 98 were going to pour money into an independent expenditure effort, these things that are enabled by the Citizens United decision, to support Jim Kenney for re-election. It's hard to see how that happens now. Now, the other building trades, they have money, not as much as Local 98, the electricians, but they have money. So we might still see some of that. But I think it does put a little bit of a break on Jim Kenney's efforts to make a multi-million dollar advertising effort. He doesn't have that kind of cash in his bank right now. So maybe that's a little bit of an invitation for the soda interest to come in with a ton of money. And Butkovitz has openly wished for this. He'd said, yeah, I certainly hope they put in a, a super PAC on my behalf. Um, we'll see. I think kind of looking at the, late, the landscape as it stands now, I think the mayor's probably pretty safe for re-election. But it's a long way to May. Because, you know, it's never too early to talk about the next presidential race. Uh, <laughs> I roll. I roll. Uh, but uh, – can we just spend a moment on sort of the, the thesis that, you know, a number of people were quoted on the record in the political story saying this does change the calculus somewhat. This is the most powerful fundraiser for progressive candidates in the state of Pennsylvania 
And the prospects for Donald Trump's reelection just got a little sunnier if Johnny Dot goes down. And the next part of that question is, does that become part of the defense of Johnny Doc? You know, shades of, you know, the John Street bug and everything. And the argument we need that people like this. This is a Republican administration going after, you know, a powerful union leader because that's what they do. Every time we get some power, they indict us. I, I don't buy it. I no. mean, I, I think, you know, Doc has a huge impact on individual local races and sometimes on statewide races. But I think on the scale of a presidential contest in Pennsylvania, particularly where you have Democrats so energized, I just don't think it's going to matter. David Gamacorda? Yeah. I, I mean, even even if it plays out, you know, that within the next year there's a, a trial and a conviction, I I don't think it would be as, as harmful as we might be led to believe. It, it gives the Republicans another talking point, right. including the fact that one of the state Supreme Court justices, John Dockery's brother, is now at least tainted by a, a newspaper story on this, that he, he may have been one of those who got gifts from Johnny Doc's largesse. Um, but I don't, I just don't see it affecting the president. David Thornburg? Well, I just uh, realized I would not be doing my role at the Committee of 70 justice if we didn't revisit just a sec what we talked about earlier which is uh, Bobby Heenan's uh, problematic two paychecks, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that's sort of at the crux of the matter in that he's getting, he is literally on the union payroll while he's also getting paid by the people of Philadelphia, which I think Dave Davies pointed out is perfectly legal. Um, Sometimes but, the scandal is what's perfectly legal, <laughs> not what's illegal. Yeah, but it, it does, I mean, this is, this I, I hope also sort of bubbles to the surface of, of kind of political conversation is like, is, it, does that make sense? Really? Let's, it, let's remind it, folks what a city councilman makes. About 130. About 130. So. And he was getting paid $70,000 by the union for what all seemed to acknowledge was make work. It was, it was non-work. So... Uh, but this is – I don't know how long this has been in practice. Do you know? I, I don't think know? it was ever banned by the charter. I mean right. the, the salaries were such that, that you know, if right. you had a family and particularly if you had to send them to you know, parochial school yeah. or private school, you probably needed some extra. So income. at one point in time, there might have been an economic rationale. If we wanted to attract the best and the brightest and – you know, not have no. to swear a uh, oath of poverty. Did, did we do that? That's right. Uh, well, that's we'll beg that question. <laughs> uh, Jim Kenny went on council, yeah. had had other employment yeah. with the mm -hmm. Viteta Group. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I someone asked me the other day. Well, you know, has has seventy come out against that? And I thought I'm I'm almost positive we have because <laughs> it's been an in increasingly problematic. And I, I think this is an issue we really have to take up because it's just this is the. This is an illustration of the kinds of problems that that can lead to. Mm -hmm. And it's not defensible on economic grounds. It really isn't. In a, in a city where the median household income is about $40,000 for a council. Multiplier of three. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's not hard. This is not a hardship job. And I'm not saying anything about these folks work hard and do a great job. I won't even get into that. It's just uh, this opens us up to a, a real problem. So let's pull back the camera a bit and look at how this affects Philadelphia from sort of a national viewpoint. A couple of days ago, New York Times has a story about the cities with the biggest corruption problems. We're right there. You still got uh, <laughs> But as you, as you were mentioning to me uh, the other day, David, um, Inc. Magazine comes out with um, a listing of cities as entrepreneurial um, climates, and we're number 34. That's right. And Austin is number one, you know. Uh, stay weird, Austin. They just but, squeaked ahead of us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but 
Philadelphia had, you know, Philadelphia needs to attract outside investment capital if it's going to grow jobs. And this is just another pebble on the pile of it's this bare knuckle, dirty, corrupt union environment. And why in the world would I want to get involved in that? I mean, uh, is this really going to have some bad ripple effects? Well, it's not good. Um, <laughs> so like Emily Latella. Thank you. Thank you for indulging my question, but Dave. I, David. I, can, I can kind of bank up the other side of this a bit. I mean, look back at, at, at the investigations during the John Street phase. John Street's mayoralty. I mean, there were al- allegations and guilty pleas that involved uh, associates of the mayor using development opportunities for Penn's Landing to extract campaign contributions. Leonard Ross went to jail for doing that. In this case, you're not seeing Doherty holding up, you know, the, the convention or any other project to get what he wants. I guess there is some question of kind of the renewal of the, of the Comcast um, franchise franchise agreement. So, yeah, so maybe so maybe that doesn't is not quite as strong as I thought. The other thing I'll just note, and I, I often say this because it is so often overlooked, is that since the Philadelphia Ethics Board came on the scene and had took its enforcement power seriously. You haven't had city politicians getting into this kind of stuff. I mean, the people who've gotten into trouble, Shaka Fatah, federal official, right? Yep. Vince Fumo, state official, Johnny Dock, union official. Seth Williams broke a 10-year streak. He was the first time a person subject to the city ethics law had gotten involved in stuff. And I think what the city ethics laws have done is make people more careful about separating the political uh, you know, from the professional uh, and and the government work, and just just having a more con- more consciousness of little ethical violations, uh, it's not going to necessarily stop somebody who wants to do all kinds of nasty stuff in secret. But I do think the culture here is improving. Yeah, yeah we've thank made you. that Excellent. case too, and and the, and often get pushback. You know, and I said uh, my my point is this doesn't solve all problems for all times. But are we better off because of that than not? And I think I, I totally yeah, agree I'm, with Yeah, if you. you look at the executive branch and city council, it's a remarkable change from what was there before Right, those rules went into place. Uh, the committee of 70 pushing for those rules, I feel duty-bound and contractually obligated to note. Thank you so much, Chris. <laughs> I have a question. What does a post-doc landscape look like, assuming, you know, the – the prosecutors are successful and and there's a conviction and he has to, you know, leave all of these reins of power that he's held. Um, is, does that vacuum get filled by, you know, another Johnny Doc or? That's a great question, Mr. Gamble Carter. Well, I try. My, my, you and I talked about this the other day. It will be filled it, because, you know, power rushes into a vacuum. Uh, that's sort of first law of nature. <laughs> Right. Exactly how, I don't really know. Somebody's going to win elections. Somebody's going to finance those campaigns. And in an ideal world, that would be a diverse group of citizens and other interests. And I think this opens the stage for that to happen more often. Um, when I sat down and tried to think about, well, who's in trouble now that if, if Doc goes away? It's not so easy because the money goes so many different places. Uh, obviously, I think Bobby Heenan probably lo- – he certainly loses his prime backer. And were he to gain a quintal, it would be interesting to see if he could remain on city council. And I think there are others who get money that would get less of it. But it's not like FUMO who had this known network of judges and others who, who kind of did his bidding and who had enormous clout in Harrisburg to change policy. Um, 
I will say that I, you know, there are people who will tell you that Doc has done some good things for the city. I mean, that he, when since he became head of the Building Trades Council, they are much more pragmatic about dealing with developers, uh, getting building trades unions to agree to new technology, labor-saving gasp, labor-saving technology on job sites. Uh, that he was, he's helpful. Was helpful in the Democratic Convention in a whole lot of ways. So. Um, It'll be a mixed bag, I think. It'll be a mixed bag. But but I got to say, you know, I mean, I've covered this guy for 25 years, and we've had our ups and downs. And what the stuff in the indictment shows, these profane rants in which far-reaching policy initiatives are treated as matters of personal vendettas, just brings back this question of, yeah, he can do some good things, but in the end, is there a commitment to or at least respect for democratic values? You really want that as a bottom line. And it, one little coda on that is uh, I'm curious to see how – you mentioned uh, Liz Fiedler, now state representative, who sort of is a representative kind of a surge of uh, younger progressive Democrats um, that will be the future of the Democratic Party in Philadelphia. And the question is how they're going to play this. Um, distance themselves. That was old Philadelphia. We're talking about new Philadelphia. Can you embrace – the politics that we've that have been revealed here locally, and yet rail against them, you know, when they're uh, when they're happening in Washington. That to me is that's going to be an interesting thing to see. What do you mean, embrace what locally and rail against what locally? What do you well, mean? let's yeah. say a a broad broadly speaking, a corrupt political culture. Can you sort of be okay with it locally, but rail against it when it comes to you know whatever you want to say about Betsy DeVos or the you know, interior secretary or whatever. That seems kind of dissonant to me. Like, yeah. re- Although the American people have shown a remarkable ability <laughs> to compartmentalize lately. I have, to, that. I have to say that. Well, I, th- I mean, I think the kind of, you know, the younger, more progressive, you know, activists that are having an impact in the city, I don't see them tolerating. I don't see them embracing yeah. transactional politics. I also don't see them as the future of the Democratic Party necessarily. I, that may be a different show. <laughs> I mean, I think they're. I mean, I think they're they are a growing force. But, yeah. but I think there's you know there are like you know fifty odd wards in which they have li- yeah. little impact. Uh, but it's a really interesting thing. I, yeah. yeah. Okay, we've set up our next gathering of the Daves, <laughs> but I think I'm going to call a conclusion to this one. Thank you, David Gamacorda. Thank you. And Dave Davies. Thanks for uh, the invite. A pleasure as always. And uh, we'll see you again sometime to talk about the future of the Democratic Party. Be <laughs> a rip-roaring good time. Okay, we're back in the Wexler studio at Kelly Writer's house on the Penn campus. We've said goodbye to two of the Daves, Gambacorda and Davies. You're stuck but with me. Still here with David <laughs> Thornburg, President and CEO of the Committee of 70. So, David, we can say something that not many people can say very often. We had a hell of a good time yesterday in the state capitol in Harrisburg. <laughs> we did. We had a rock and sock and good time. So what um, was it? Well, uh, yesterday uh, – Wednesday the 6th was the unveiling of the winners of the Draw the Lines uh, public mapping competition in Harrisburg. We had, I'm going to guess, 150, 200 people out in the rotunda. Nice little crowd. Nice little crowd. And, uh, yeah, it was um, – I, I said to somebody, maybe the only time in Pennsylvania history when, uh, you know – uh, congressional maps unveiled were greeted with uh, applause and laughter. <laughs> and, and, yeah, I mean, it really was a great time. And a lot of great, 
a lot of great people, a lot of, a lot of great stories about how people dug into this process. And I know you were charged with uh, uh, kind of controlling the flow of the award winners. So I, I know you, you had yeah. a couple of uh, a good reaction shots. Right. So um, just for those of you who haven't been slavishly following the Draw Lines Project, what we've done is created a free digital mapping tool that anyone can use to draw their own valid congressional map of Pennsylvania to show that they can do a better job. Um, than Harrisburg or the Supreme Court did the last time around. Uh, we wrapped up our first contest at the end of December, had 318 completely validated entries out of more than 2,700 maps. And 1,500 um, people. 1,500 people, yeah, um, which includes some teams. We had some huge teams. One yep. team that won a lot of money yesterday had 19 students from Penn State on it. So we had three divisions, um, youth, uh, higher ed, and adult, and there was a grand prize winner winning 4500 and a runner-up winning 2000 We also honored all of our regional winners. So we, we've had you know a couple stages, a couple brackets in the contest. So yeah, there are some remarkable stories. Kyle Hines, who's a 15-year-old student at State College High School, did a map that people were basically saying – that is so good. How did a kid do that? And then the person who finished second to Kyle in the youth division, um, Jack Rosenthal, 14-year-old from Alderdice High School in Pittsburgh, he's 14. Yeah. <laughs> and his dad told me, yeah, you know, he started doing this thing. We weren't really clear what it was. And we were always yelling at him for playing video games. He goes, Dad, I'm doing my map. <laughs> Just like any average 14-year-old. Yeah, any 14-year-old. You know, it's funny. I, uh, at the reception afterward, had a very thorough discussion with Kyle about Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act and how that affected congressional maps. And, like, I mean, I was just astounded by how much he had learned and how much he knew and the trade-offs that he made. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, just, it's just astonishing to see how people threw themselves into this. Yeah. You know, the Penn State class I mentioned is a geography class taught by a really um, interesting guy named Chris Fowler. And uh, he told them they had, before they drew a map, they had to go out and figure what figure out what their fellow Pennsylvanians thought about mapping and redistricting. So they went out to the tailgating lots at the Ohio State-Penn State game last fall. Like any good social yeah, science exactly, researchers? Exactly, exactly. And asked and, you know, got more than 200 people to reply and then used that data to form their map. So there were some really interesting stories there. Probably... What you might call the the champion map came from uh, a young guy, an adult, 29-year-old from Drexel Hill named Philip Hensley. And his map, is it's, it's just a thing of beauty. It is It stands definite comparison to the map done uh, at the order of the Supreme Court by the professor from Stanford, Nathan Persley. It is just really elegantly and well done. So well done that our other kind of one of our favorite characters, Blyden Potts, who yesterday we called – Which is a name out of – Yeah, yeah, really, a 19th century Thomas Hardy or, you know, uh, Thackeray or something. Yeah, Blyden Potts. But Blyden, who is a something called a social network analyst, was kind of our John Grisham. Uh, he's the John Grisham of draw. He just kept churning out maps. He, in the end, entered 12 of them. And the day before the event, uh, the day before we, you know, we're going to reveal the winners and award the prizes, Blyden went on Facebook and conceded to Philip Hensley. <laughs> he basically said, I am not worthy. <laughs> I, I've looked at all the maps. And man, that Philip Hensley map is great. He's going to yeah. win, which turned yeah. out to be the right prediction. Well, of course, the point that we made early and often yesterday, which is what we were after all along, is just this demonstrates that regular folks with a little bit of interest and a few digital tools 
are ready, willing, and able to do this important job. Um, and as you know, we're going to keep running the play. Uh, and uh, we hope by the time 2021 comes around, when we have to draw a new map, we'll, we might have 10,000 people uh, sort of engaged in yeah. this. So seeing the engagement, and particularly of the students, and we honored a couple of teachers from a few schools who used our curriculum and our tool and all of our stuff um, really effectively in the classroom this year, that's all great, and that's part of our goal. But we're also looking to have impact on the statewide conversation leading up to the redistricting in 2021. And the next phase is for these mappers who were there in Harrisburg yesterday and all over the state to sit down and have a conversation with their elected representatives in Harrisburg and say, let's talk about how this is going to work next time. Because it really didn't go well yeah. last time. All three maps that were produced by the General Assembly landed in the courts The uh, and were overturned. Yeah. Yeah. So really, you know, th this this process does need some fixing. And we got some response from lawmakers yesterday. Now, I was going to say, that was one of the coolest things is, I'm going to guess we had 20, 25 lawmakers or staff, uh, both R's and D's. And uh, as the winners were filing across the stage, I heard more than once from a lawmaker uh, say to me and say to the young man that that's one of my that's one of my guys that's one of my constituents <laughs> you know it was like a proud parent right uh, so I think that uh, that's what we're trying as you said that's what we're trying to encourage and it will happen and yeah. the, and some of them had uh, you know certificates or proclamations or whatever for their constituents oh, and so it's a whole other currency we've so created. David I would never claim to be the sharpest tool in the toolbox. <laughs> But there was a reason we held that ceremony in the main rotunda of the state capitol. We wanted in on a session day, the day after the uh, the state budget was introduced or the, the proposal from Governor Wolf was introduced, we wanted them to see these citizens of Pennsylvania and we wanted them to see the maps that they'd done. And there was a lot of walking through, stopping, like, what is this, asking us questions. So it's a long long, long road to serious reform in the way election maps are drawn in Harrisburg, but I felt like it was a bigger step than usual yesterday. Oh, yeah. That was a, a date that will go down in history. And the last thing we want to say is that was so much fun. We're doing it again. Um, we're doing a new competition. We basically work on a school semester schedule um, at Draw the Lines because, you know, so much of the work gets done in college classrooms and high school classrooms. So this week, uh, we put a new uh, version of the District Builder Mapping Tool up on our website, drawthelinespa.org. You can go there, click on the button that says Draw Map, and it will take you to essentially a challenge to draw not a redoing of the current congressional map, which has 18 congressional districts, but looking ahead to 2021, the challenge is divide Pennsylvania into 17 congressional districts because Pennsylvania almost inevitably will lose one congressional seat in the next census. So now we're looking forward rather than redoing the past. Yep. I'm just going to say, let the maps begin. Thank you very much, David Thornburg the Civic Yoda of Philadelphia, CEO and president of the Committee of 70. So that's it. We've done it. Committed another episode of 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more out of Philadelphia and, oh, by the way, out of Harrisburg as well. We've done it as usual in the Kelly Writers' House on the Penn campus and sitting at the controls in the Wexler studio, as always, is Zach Gardner. We could never do it without you, Zach. Thank you. 
Also on the other side of the glass from me is our intrepid producer, Joel Patterson, who's always there with advice and then has the very difficult task of cutting down all the stupid words I say and leaving only the intelligent ones. We want to thank our guests today, Dave Davies of WHYY um, and David Gambacorda of the Philadelphia Media Network, writing for The Inquirer, The Daily News, Philly.com, and all the other products of that media colossus. Uh, as always, we want to thank our friends at Young Involved Philadelphia for being partners on this. And we want to thank Questlove, the famed Philadelphia drummer who's provided the riff that we use on the podcast. So that's it until next time. So remember, Philadelphia, until we speak again, expect more. You don't understand. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody. Instead of a bum, which is what I am. Let's face it. It was you, Chuck.